good use and make them do military service, mine kakadu, re-tattoo the swastika on my forehead, and kicked off the debate with the ever-popular, you know, half of the paintings nowadays, you can't even tell what they're supposed to be. I murmured non-committally. I had an entrenched policy of not getting involved with taxi drivers. Relationships in the past had only led to frustration and disappointment on both sides. It was always going to be problematic, considering that it began with me making desperate pleading gestures from the footpath, like a particularly inept prostitute who had failed first-grade solicitation. The expression on my face ended up being a disastrous cross between an attempt at alluring helplessness and trying to look as though ethically they ought to pick me up because I was late for strategic crisis talks with the UN. After approximately 38 empty taxis had driven past me, or possibly just the one constantly circling in case there was someone better looking than me waiting further on, then, and only then, if I was lucky, would one finally slow down, look me over dispassionately, and pull to a stop just far enough away so that I would have to dodge two buses and a coked-up Saab driver to get to it. Then came that awkward moment when I had to decide whether to sit in the front or the back seat. Choosing to sit in the back seat sent a clear indication that I wanted to be driven to my destination without conversation or any form of social interaction with my driver, which invariably made me feel like an unmitigated snob. I inevitably became so overwhelmed by guilt that I would overcompensate by leaning forward and displaying a level of interest in the driver's opinions that was only appropriate to a first date. On the other hand, choosing to sit in the front seat made me unbearably cheerful and chatty. I usually ended up telling the driver my entire life story while inwardly cursing myself for letting it slip that I had moved to Sydney from Melbourne as I then spent the entire journey wondering if they were trying to rip me off and if it really was necessary to go via the Blue Mountains when travelling from Willara to Balmain. And then there were the endless arguments. Politics, religion, art, musical preferences. It was exhausting. It was fine for them, cruising around all day, listening to current affairs and news on the radio, so that they were up to the minute with late-breaking news, and were thus able to have informed opinions on, well, everything. I, on the other hand, was busy. It wasn't my fault that I struggled to remember the name of the Indonesian Prime Minister and had never really gained a clear understanding of what was going on in the Middle East. Generally, after a conversation with a taxi driver, I would sink into a deep despondency over the trivial nature of my life. This depression was only made worse by the realisation that my greatest angst was reserved for the sneaking suspicion that I had once again been ripped off and had been charged three sets of false bridge tolls and something called a daylight hours charge, which was presumably incurred as an assurance that my taxi driver wasn't a vampire or lord of darkness, even if they usually shared the same political beliefs. The driver was now moaning about an all-black canvas whose existence he seemed to feel was a personal affront to his innate artistic sensitivity. So I made my non-committal noise again and let my attention drift back to the view. Sydney is, without a doubt, spectacularly beautiful. My boyfriend Charlie and I had moved from Melbourne to Sydney a year ago to start new jobs, with neither of us having any idea as to what we were getting ourselves into. 
I worked in the eastern suburb of Wallara, very posh, approximately two gourmet food stores per resident, and an overabundance of well-groomed blonde women who had mastered the art of smiling without showing teeth. Charlie was a flight instructor and worked at the airport at Bankstown, very not posh, approximately two burnt-out cars per resident, and an alarming number of signs showing the way to Canberra, as though that was both a near and preferable destination. We moved into a lovely old terrace house in Balmain, which is a proudly yuppified former working-class suburb with an odd mix of old pubs and new stores selling anything cheesecloth, tie-dyed or of international design intended for the kitchen. The population of Balmain seemed to consist primarily of old men called Bert, who used to work in the shipbuilding industry, and 30-something couples with names like Oliver and Bryony, who ran their own graphic design business from their renovated sandstone workers' cottage.